the Ortho PAC, hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC, where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Welcome back, Dr. Casey, and thanks for being on the podcast again. I really appreciate your time and taking some time to talk with us. Last time we went over upper extremity fractures and pediatrics and management, and I just wanted to go through some common lower extremity fractures I've seen in clinic and kind of pick your brain on how you manage those toddler's fractures. And you had touched on this when we were talking about the upper extremities, and I've seen these so many times, and, and it's exactly what you said. Some kids in somebody's lap going down a slide and whoops. <laughs> and back to the NATs, tibia shaft fractures are real common. What about fibula fractures, diaphyseal fractures, uh, and how often do you see both bone fractures in peds? Uh, it's not as common for sure. Sometimes when it's an impact, so instead of the typical toddler fracture, which is a twist, but more of an impact where you kind of get a buckling of the distal tibia, sometimes you'll have a buckling of the distal fibula as well. But for diaphyseals, the, the, that toddler mechanism, you know, in that age range, usually the fibula is intact. And a lot of times you don't even see a broken tibia. You just, you hear the history and the child won't walk. And, um, and even if you don't see the fracture, you just treat it like a toddler fracture, which interestingly, nowadays we just, we've learned, we don't have to be very aggressive with treatment at all. I think it's more treating the parents, honestly. There was just a paper presented at our national, actually our continental orthopedic society meeting for peds ortho that said, you didn't have to put anything on them. So you don't have to splint them or boot them or cast them. You can do nothing. And the outcomes are the same. So I feel like when I have a toddler fracture, I'm just treating the parents. And I let the parents decide because if you don't, then they're gonna come back and say, wait, we need this. And, and they know their child and their child's pain threshold and, and their child's you know crazy behavior. And if they're worried and don't sleep because they're worried their kid's gonna break it worse or something. I just let the parents decide. It's kind of like if it's the, the first kid, you know, let's do everything. If it's the fourth kid, you know, <laughs> do we have to do this? <laughs> You're absolutely right. Yep. And you can get a pretty good feel from the parents. The one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to put on a splint and break down their heel. So that's the worst thing yeah. that I've seen is coming from the ED, a splint with no padding on the heel, and the child screaming, and nobody takes the splint off. And when they see me, their, their heel is worse than their tibia. And I have a patient who has a hole in his heel. His tibia is perfect, but, you know, suffered long-term because of the splints. Sure. And it can be a challenge to get the cast on if the kid's uh, losing his mind. Ankle fractures. And there are tons of ankle fractures. And I don't want to talk about categorizations or any of that sort of thing, but I just wanted to ask you a few common ones that I've seen and a couple that I haven't seen that much, maybe a couple of times. So all the time I get the non-displaced Salter 1 distal fibular fractures. You know, they, they don't hurt over the ligaments. It's right on over the bone. And then Salter 2's uh, fibular avulsions. Is it just case by case, kind of the same thing, seeing what the parents think, you know, a splint of some sort, a cast. And then medial malleolus fractures. We talked about bimal, trimals. Don't really see those that often. So what do you think about those? So I think that distal fibula, you're right, it's super common. That's kind of the pediatric ankle sprain. And I usually just stick them in a boot. I never cast them. I usually just stick them in a boot for comfort and they don't even have to follow up. So two to four weeks in a boot, as soon as it stops hurting, then you don't have to wear the boot anymore. 
if in four weeks they're still not doing well, then of course it can come back, but um, those are pretty straightforward. Medium allelists though, uh, those are typically operative, not always, but I think that that decision definitely needs to be made. Like, so it's, it's not one of those where you, I guess if it's 100% non-displaced, then, then you can leave it. But a, a lot of times they kind of can behave like a lateral condyle where they're just a little bit displaced, but they don't heal. They take forever to heal. Medium allelists, uh, we tend to fix those. And by nature, they're gonna be either Salter twos or fours, or you know, they're gonna be a little more substantial. And a growth arrest, and the medial ankle is, it's a big deal. So I think make sure you have that conversation about, just depends on the mechanism, how severe the injury was, but that growth rest is a big deal. And I do think it's worth mentioning the transition fractures. And when I say transition, that just means as the growth plate closes, you get these different patterns. And one is a to low. And so you really need to look for that one. And that's where the anterior lateral portion of the tibia gets pulled off by the ligament there. And if those are you know, displaced more than a couple millimeters, then that's worth fixing. And then of course the triplane, which is, uh, you know, looks like a Salter two on the lateral, looks like a Salter three on the AP, which makes it a Salter four. And so a lot of those are, are non-displaced and we just leave them alone, but sometimes they're displaced enough or they can fool you, they can be rotated and you can't tell that much. So those are ones that honestly, if you wanna fix it, get a CT scan too busy and don't have time to fix it then don't get a ct scan no i'm just kidding um, but just it was more than two millimeters got it okay i had one of those probably a year or two ago and we have a foot and ankle guy in clinic and i said you know this looks funny what is it and so he told me about it i, I wasn't aware of that type of fracture before that so i read about them in the past do you cast do you cast much you know short leg versus long leg or do you use boots what what's your thinking on immobilization of the lower extremity yeah, that's a really good question. I'm, I will have to think about, I think in clinic, I probably boot more in the OR. Post-op, I, I probably cast more. Things that earn casts are like the axial tibia fractures in a seven-year-old. You know, that's going to come in in a splint, that gets a cast. Uh, it gets an above knee cast, but distal tibia fractures, those get a below knee cast. So if it's, you know, in a seven-year-old, we're not talking the toddler fracture, we're talking actual something going on in a, I don't know, seven to 15 year old, but it's not, you know, it's non-op. Those will get a cast for about a month before I switch to a boot. But lower extremities, I think we put on a lot more boots than casts in clinic uh, for those, but I do a lot of casts in the OR. All right. So last in the list, foot and ankle, and we talked about the ankle, but I don't really see that many tarsal or calcaneal fractures in peds. I just haven't. I, you know, see a lot of foot fractures, metatarsals, base of the fifth. And I, I wanted to kind of talk about that more because of the physis that's there. Many times, I, and I'm sure you see this, oh, they've got an avulsion fracture and it's, you know, normal anatomy. But I've also seen those that are pretty displaced when you compare to the other side where they've had a fracture. And I was hoping you might talk about that a little bit and tell us your thoughts. Sure. Yeah. I think being mindful of the fact that frequently it is normal anatomy is great. I've had tons of people come in and say, oh, they were worried about this. And then the pain is like on the other side of the foot. So recognizing that that avulsion, potential avulsion fracture of the fifth may or may not be actual avulsion fracture. Obviously, if it, clinically it's an avulsion, then, then it is. Sometimes I, I'll get the other side just to appease parents and say, oh, look, there's a piece over here too. 
I've never fixed an avulsion fracture in a kid. It's, they just don't pull off far enough that they need to be fixed. Even the ones that kind of are intra-articular. So there's the tiny little avulsion that just looks like the fleck that's the normal growth plate. Then there's the actual fracture avulsion that pulls off you know, intra-articular. And then of course there's the Jones fracture. And even Jones fracture in kids, if it's non-displaced, I give that a chance to heal before talking about screw fixation. That's debatable though. So there's definitely literature that says treat them like adults, but there's also literature that says not to. So that one's a little bit confusing. I think the main thing is to think about mechanism and just don't miss things. Like don't miss a Liz Frank in a kid because you can, because you're just not thinking about that. At least they're so rare. I'm not. And I've seen two in the last two years that, you know, nobody got a weight bearing film and it was Liz Frank. And so just have your adult head on sometimes too, if the mechanism is right, you know, forced plantar flexion um, for that Liz Frank. I should have put that in the, the discussion here because I did see one of those a few years ago, a competitive diver, you know, was a kid and came down as the board was coming up and, you know, the foot was really, really swollen. I did another interview, put an ankle doc, you know, and he says, well, he doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be that swollen, but the couple that I've seen, I mean, it was obvious something was going on more than a sprain. So thank you for including that. The little toes, the little piggies there. I'm assuming similar to adults with the crush injuries and the stub toes and the fractures. I mean, you just kind of put them in a boot or a shoe and walk it off and eventually it heals, right? Yeah, pretty much. Just make it straight. If it looks crooked, then pull on it and make it straight. Yes, I agree. Little tuft fractures and toes just need to make them straight and make sure you're not missing a dislocation or something like that. Not much to do with those. Not much to do with them. Okay. All right. Dr. Casey, have we missed anything? And thank you for pointing out the list, Frank. I didn't even think about that when I wrote this. It was a great thing. Was there anything that we missed that you see a lot of that we should uh, maybe talk about or might be helpful for our folks that are listening? Don't forget about tibial spine fractures. So not, not necessarily the tubercle, but the tibial spine. So that's the kid ACL fracture. Just saw a six-year-old with it. It's sometimes really subtle. So if you have an injury that they come in, this was a little gymnast that did a cartwheel and fell off the beam or something. And she had a big old swollen knee and her radiographs, if you really look, you could see that the tibial eminence was just up just a bit, tiny little bit up, but those are easy to not see. So just keep that in your brain. Anytime you've got a swollen knee and a kid, something's broken, something bad happened. Either like the three things I think about, like I'm talking little kids. So I'm not talking about patellar dislocation kids or ACL kids. These are like six, seven, eight-year-olds with swollen knees. Something is broken. So you just have to make sure that you're really looking and feeling growth plates. Like you don't want to miss a physeal distal femur fracture or something like that. Okay. A nine-year-old male recently developed pain over the lateral aspect of his foot at the base of the fifth metatarsal when he plays soccer. He says it has continued to swell and he has pain with weight bearing. He thinks it started after he rolled his ankle several weeks ago, but he's not sure of any other trauma. He presents with his dad, who states his son is the next Carlos Valderrama. How many of us have heard that or similar? And he wants him to play as much as possible to keep him in soccer shape. As such, he did rest it, quote unquote, for a long weekend, but as soon as he started playing again, his pain recurred. An x-ray is attached. What do you think this injury is, and are there other possibilities, and what does the x-ray show, and I know it's just one image, and what do you think is the most appropriate treatment for this person? 
Well, so this one's a little bit more interesting because it wasn't an acute injury and then they come see you right after the injury. It was more of a developed pain recently kind of thing. So it's certainly sounding more like an apophysitis. So the base of the fifth, more apophysitis type picture. So that's just irritation of the physis uh, where the perineus brevis inserts into the fifth metatarsal. And with the, with the injury, the rolled ankle, you know, that can certainly exacerbate it. And in terms of the uh, x-rays, it's hard to know for sure because that can be a normal variant versus an actual apophyseal fracture because a lot of times it's a clinical diagnosis. So he's kind of skirting between two worlds here of apophysitis versus an actual fracture. But the thing that pushes me more towards fracture is the swelling. So it, it says that he had some swelling there. And so I wonder if he didn't just go ahead and have some antecedent pain and then pop that thing when he remembered that he rolled his ankle several weeks ago. And now it's just taken a long time to get better because he's not taking care of it. Fortunately, you don't have to take care of it. So he can decide if he wants to play through it and have a sore foot. And it may be sore for a really long time. Or if he wants to get better, then he needs to rest it. So I would rest in a boot for kind of two to three weeks. And if it doesn't hurt when you push on it after two to three weeks, then you can gradually, and this is the hard part and the key, gradually return to activity as long as you're pain-free. And then hopefully it was actually a, you know, a fracture that heals. And then he goes on to be the best soccer player in the world and, and doesn't have pain. Sure. You know, and, and I wanted to throw that in part of it's humorous because I see that parent, you know, my kids, the next Michael Jordan, my kids, the next, you know, whoever, and they're really not, and they're pushing the kid and the kid's really not wanting to do it. I, how do you manage that? How do you manage parents and their unrealistic expectations of their child without being offensive or without sending them to some other practice? <laughs> oh, it's such a good question. And um, it, it is a fascinating thing to watch. And you see it actually, you see sometimes it's it's child created. So like I, I would say in the gymnast population, they've been a gymnast for so long, like 20 hours a week. And when they're about 12 or 13, they start having a bunch of these injuries that I can't ever really see, but everything hurts and it just hurts when I do gymnastics and we get one better and then there's another one. And, but what's interesting is sometimes it's not even parent driven. It's the child identifies their whole life as gymnastics and they can't, they can't admit that they don't really like it anymore and they'd like to do something else or they're scared to do that. So that one's an interesting dilemma that I haven't figured out. So if you have the parent that doesn't push, then sometimes I can bring them aside and say that. But for when it's the parent pushing, uh, it's really tough. And sometimes I think the best thing to do is just to ask the child, do you love soccer? And if they're like, oh, yes, it's my life. That's a little bit reassuring. But if it takes them a second to answer the question, I kind of ask it several different ways in front of the parent to try to get them to recognize maybe their child doesn't love it as much as they think they do. And maybe there are other things to do for fun than just that sport. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's a really tough problem. Good question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you can't handle the bruise on your arm in football, then maybe you should try golf, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Dr. Casey, thank you so much. This is great.
I appreciate your time. Thanks for everything you've done. You know, I, I'd mentioned this in the other, and I want to say it again. You're a great PA advocate. Come to our conferences. We really appreciate that. And uh, I really thank you for your time. Absolutely. You know I'm married to one, right? I do. I do. Uh, oh, okay. But, Just double checking. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm definitely an advocate. Love those PAs. Yeah, me too. Me too. So, <laughs> all right, Dr. Casey, thank you so much. Uh, have right. a good rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Thank you for joining the OrthoPAC podcast. Please follow the Physician Assistance in Orthopedic Surgery on social media. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Please subscribe to our podcast. If this has been helpful, please take a moment to leave a review. I'm excited to tell our audience that Denver registration is now open for our 22nd annual meeting. This is our annual fall meeting and will be August 22nd through the 26th at the Sheridan Denver Downtown Hotel. Come and join us for some CME and get away for a little while in the Mile High City. Stop by the desk and say hello. I look forward to seeing you there.